Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for business ethics and integrity. The Ellen Becker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Heather Deaton, Wealth Advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. Ellen Becker Investment Group is located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive in the Town Bank Building and also in the Village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank Building across from Winkies. We also serve as clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. Visit ellenbecker.com for more details. My guest today is Beth Jaworski, top producing realtor with Shorewest Realtors. And we're going to be talking about what everybody's talking about, it seems, these days. The housing market, real estate, prices, things like that. Beth's going to give us some insight into some tips and, and items to consider when you're looking to buy or sell or whatever it is you're thinking about. Thanks so much for joining us today, Beth. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. You know, let's dive right in. If you want to share a bit about yourself and your background and really share with us what you're seeing around your industry and the work that you do. Great. Well, I've been a realtor since 1992, so I will be celebrating 29 years uh, in business this September. Uh, Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Obviously, I love what I do. I was going to say, or I wouldn't be still doing it, right? I get to work with the most wonderful people and meet different people such as yourself um, and help them solve their housing issues. And believe me, this last year, boy, have we seen a lot of housing issues (laughs) with Mm -hmm. COVID. So I am based out of the Wauwatosa uh, Shore West office, but I really sell the whole metro area, you know, Milwaukee County, Eastern Waukesha County, even Southern Ozaki sometimes, you know, say Mequon, Cedarburg. So I see a lot of trends and um, different things, city versus suburban. Typically, you'll see a little more of the split in the market. And this last year, um, we have not seen that. It has just been hot everywhere. Such a seller's market. And a lot of things have contributed to that. Um, In 2019, we kind of had the perfect storm. You know, with COVID, it caused everyone to reevaluate where they live, how they live. So that spurred a lot of uh, housing changes. People were allowed to work from home. And um, a lot of people found they liked it. Maybe their house didn't work so well for that or their current living situation. So that spurred people to want to make a change. Uh, Interest rates are so crazy low, you know, going down to 2.75 at times for a 30-year fixed mortgage. So uh, really made people look twice too because... Mm -hmm. They were renting, most of the clients I worked with last year who were renting ended up with a lower monthly payment purchasing than they were paying in rent. Um, So that also spurred a whole lot of people to go out there. Absolutely. And I know that, like you had mentioned, working from home, um, kids schooling from home, um, pretty much doing everything from home. You know, my basement became my gym, Um, you know, all different things. And so... 
that really did cause a lot of us to look around and say, is this really what, where we want to spend so much of our time? You start looking at those same four walls uh, day after day and wishing that it was maybe a different four walls. Exactly, exactly. Nothing like being home pretty much around the clock to make you <laughs> reevaluate where you live. Right, and just probably the shape of the space and the utilization of a different kind of home configuration. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because before COVID, I was seeing that people were not looking for home offices anymore. And when I would show homes that had a nice home office, I would often hear, oh, well, now with my laptop or tablet or iPad, I can work from the couch, from the deck or patio. <laughs> And, you know, I really don't need a home office. And then COVID came and now everybody wants a home office and sometimes they want two or three of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, that's um, anything else that you're seeing in the market that is, you know, different than what you've seen before or, or maybe something you've even seen a long time ago, but it's back now. Well, the emphasis on outdoor space, you know, it was starting to trend before COVID and that just accelerated it also. Uh, so it, any type of outdoor space, you know, and it's beautiful. To, it's so wonderful to see the smaller spaces in the city, what people will do with them. And they're so creative. Um, and then larger land that people still want privacy. That is huge some type of patio or deck for entertaining, grilling out, um, built-in kitchen in mm -hmm. some cases, that's mm -hmm. highly desirable. And of course, finished lower levels uh, have always been popular and they just have grown in popularity. People like their theater room, wine cellar, mm -hmm. even just a rec room for the kids, right? Depending on the size of your home, um, that's always a big selling feature. Yeah, that's great. Let's kind of dig in a bit to what it's like to buy a house right now. You know, if you've got any tips or, or ideas or even just insights you want to share about going through the home buying process. Sure. Well, I've helped, I think it's 22 buyers close on homes so far this year. And I have another five under contract. Wow. Um, so I can tell you, you have to have a lot of patience. You have to have a lot of fortitude. You have to be aggressive in this market. It's highly competitive. I know earlier this year, I want to say March or April, well, it must have been March. Um, the statistic came out that the average buyer had to write three offers to get one accepted. And then in April, it came out that that went to four. Wow. So imagine three different times you get your hopes up, you write this great offer and it doesn't go through. Um, so you really have to, like I said, have patience and have fortitude, know it's going to work out. You give it your best shot. Um, and if you don't get that one, it just means there's a better one out there. But you really need to have a good agent also and a good game plan. Yeah. Tell me more about what makes a good agent and what makes a good game plan. Well, a good agent is going to sit down with you and counsel you as to the market and what to expect and will obviously question you to find out what kind of timeline are you working under? Do you have a deadline? Do you have to be in a new place by a certain date or do you have complete flexibility? 
you know, are, if you already own a home, do you need to sell that home to buy a new home? That all has to be taken into consideration. The agent should communicate with you the way you want to. You know, nowadays there are so many ways to communicate. I have buyers and sellers who Facebook message me, they text me, they email me, they call me. You know, so the agent should ask you, how do you want to communicate? What is your preferred form? They should um, be available or have backup to be available because in this market, um, things are moving so quickly. You can't say, oh, I saw a new listing. Can You know, would you show it to me tonight? And they say, oh, I can show it to you in two days or even tomorrow wow. night. That might not work. So they should have a uh, backup, whether it be a team member or just someone else in their company that they work with, that if they are already booked, will come out and show you as the buyer, um, the house that you want to see. That's very important. The agent should definitely um, go over with you the contract, the offer to purchase ahead of time, discuss different strategies, what are common contingencies, what are they seeing in the market, and give you all the different options that you can employ to make your offer more attractive. You may or may not use any one of those strategies, but you want to be aware that they're out there and that might be what you're competing against. If you want to share any of any of the details on some of those strategies, that would be, I'm sure, a great topic. I'd really enjoy hearing that. Oh, sure. Well, the most common contingencies that you see in an offer are home inspection. Um, And that's probably the number one most common contingency we always saw, because even with a cash purchase, no financing or appraisal, most people would still want a home inspection. There's been a lot of buzz that in the last year, um, people, more and more buyers have been dropping the home inspection contingency because the market has been so competitive. I have heard that from people. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned earlier, I've been in the market selling 29 years this September, and it was the most competitive market I've ever seen. And as I mentioned also, I work in Wauwatosa, which has a very competitive spring market every year. So I'm used to high competition, you know, five, eight offers, but we've been seeing 10, 20, even 30 offers on a property, which is more unheard of in this area. So buyers would get desperate and, you know, waive the home inspection. We really don't recommend that, however. And I can say, even though we see that happening, it still is a very small part of the market. So it would be normal to have a home inspection contingency. However, there are things you can do to modify that contingency. You can make the timeline for it super short line up a home inspector ahead of time. Um, Make sure they're available, say, in two days, so you only give maybe five days instead of 10 or 14 for that contingency. The other thing you can do is have your agent um, add language into your offer and modify the contingency so it's not just for blanket defects, you know, a structural health or safety or significant cost items, but actually say things like, that the buyer would not object to um, or require any repair, replacement, or credit for any items, you know, costing less than $500, or that they would accept a cumulative of $3,000 or $5,000 worth of 
repairs needed. You know, some people will limit the home inspection to just say that it's only for health and safety issues. Mm. Some will say it's only for structural issues. So there are ways you can limit it. Um, there are some contracts that will also even say that it's for buyer's information only, the property is being sold as is. So what that means is that the buyer has the home inspection, then they're going into it with their eyes open. Seller's not fixing anything. So it's just for them to learn what they're getting into, you know, yeah. all parties understand that. So those are pretty much the options that we see or the modifications that we see in that particular contingency. I'd see that becoming a much more attractive offer for a seller to want to proceed with. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, because it's often to make it or break it. And it's kind of funny because a few years ago already, two, three years ago, we already were experiencing a shortage of inventory. So it was becoming more of a seller's market, very competitive for buyers. But at that point, just because the market was starting to shift, we would see bidding wars and then the home inspection would be viewed by buyers as a time to really renegotiate with the seller, right? Because, oh my God, they paid 10% over asking or whatever it was, they felt they were entitled to have everything fixed. And we'd get these amendments with these long, detailed, you know, 10 points and have to overcome that. Um, Well, the word has definitely gotten out that that is not going to work in this market. (laughs) So the pendulum has swung the other way. Really, as a buyer, have to go into it thinking you're going to absorb a lot of those things, deferred maintenance, smaller items in an older home, you're going to have some plumbing and electrical that comes up. You know, maybe a drain isn't plumbed right. It's a S trap, not a P trap. You know, maybe you have, you don't have GFCI outlets where you should, or an outlet's not grounded, or the electric door opener for the garage is plugged into an extension cord. It doesn't have a dedicated outlet. Those type of things you yeah. have to absorb. You have to figure you're going to, it's just part of owning a home. Well, and you had mentioned flexibility. It does sound like that. That's kind of the name of the game for buying a home right now. With that, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll continue to talk more about what to go through when you're buying a house these days. Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm Heather Deaton, Wealth Advisor, and my guest today is Beth Jaworski, top producing realtor with Shorewest Realtors. Beth, take us through some more of the strategies on getting your offer accepted or how to write something that might be more appealing to a seller in this hot seller's market. Sure. As we talked about, the inspection contingency is the most common. And that is followed by the financing contingency. And then what often goes with the financing contingency, but does not have to automatically is the appraisal contingency. Mm -hmm. And this is what confuses a lot of buyers because when you go and you get a mortgage on a property, they will require an appraisal to be done. However, that does not mean that you need to make the appraisal, a contingency of your offer. And that's what's so confusing (laughs) because people, they waive the appraisal contingency, they're not having one. 
And it's like, no, um, when you go to apply for a mortgage, uh, one of the things they'll do is collect a fee to have an appraiser go out to the property to verify that their opinion of value is um, that the value is equal to or greater than the sale price. And since we've been in such a rising market and the appraisers have to look backwards, sometimes there is an appraisal issue, meaning the appraisal comes in lower than the price that the buyer agreed to pay for the property. This can be a time that either the transaction then falls apart and the house goes back in the market or the seller is asked to lower the price. Um, this can be a big issue for a seller. So if a buyer is able to waive the appraisal contingency, that puts their offer at an advantage against an offer that has an appraisal contingency. And again, if you have the cash that you can make up a difference, say you are paying 350,000 for a house and the appraisal comes in at 337, that's $13,000. You need to have a conversation with your loan officer as to what that would mean to you. Because depending on your particular situation, you may have to come up with that extra $13,000 in cash at closing as additional down payment, or um, they may only require a percentage of that. Or maybe you don't have to put any extra money down, but now your private mortgage insurance is gonna go up. Or you're going to have private mortgage insurance where you weren't planning on that because you were thinking you were going to put 20% down. So you want to go into making an offer with your eyes open. Can you waive the appraisal contingency? Are you prepared for what could happen? Because again, it is an opinion of value. You never know what the appraisal will come out at. Um, if you're not willing to roll the dice or you can't, you don't have deep enough pockets to yeah. do that confidently. You can also limit the appraisal contingency, which some people don't realize, but I do see a lot of offers with that, meaning you have your agent add into the offer that if the appraisal comes in, say $5,000 lower than the agreed upon sale price or above, you will accept it. So you're not completely waiving that contingency, but you're saying to the seller, hey, I know I really want this house. I'm willing to cover up to 5,000 because I know it's possible that it would happen. Got it. Yeah, that's really flexible strategies there or, you know, gives you as the buyer a lot more options as opposed to it just being just so strict. Correct. Correct. Not, not just a blanket. Hey, if it doesn't appraise out at the sale price, you got to come down or I'm out. Right. That. Yep. The seller doesn't want to hear that. And if you're competing against someone who doesn't have an appraisal contingency or has some type of language saying they'll cover an appraisal gap with three, five, ten thousand, that could be why you would not get the house. Well, and if the bidding war, you know, raises that price up to what you're willing to spend on it, you have to be able to accept that that there is that risk of the appraisal not quite matching what you're, what you're willing to pay for it. Correct. And people also have a hard time sometimes understanding that that appraisal is not a hard and fast value. And you've heard me say twice, I think on the uh, here that it is an opinion of value because yep. even though it's a licensed appraiser and they follow a strict protocol and form, they do have some leeway. 
into which comparable properties they pick. You know, there's going to be more than three sales, even if they use six, which now sometimes they will use more sales than they had in the past because the underwriter is scrutinizing these appraisals more closely. Mm -hmm. um, there still are going to be more than six sales in general that they could use as comparables. So right there, there is some variance, right, from appraiser mm -hmm. to appraiser opinion. And then yeah. they adjust for those sales because um, they're not going to be exact clones. We don't really have those type of subdivisions like maybe out in Arizona or that where there's just the same house replicated 200 times, right? Yeah. Yeah, very unique architecture around here. So each house is going to be a little different. How is that appraiser going to adjust? Um, say that, you know, you have a bungalow, you have a three bedroom, one and a half bungalow, and on the same block, almost the same square footage, another bungalow just sold, but it's three bedroom, two bath. Mm -hmm. You know, one appraiser might adjust for that half bath and say it's worth 7,000. Another might say it's worth 10,000 to have a full bath versus a half. So is that house worth $3,000 more or less, you know, depending yeah, on who's right. doing the appraisal. And that's why it's not an absolute. And that is also why a lot of people are fine paying more than what the house appraises out to if they have a big down payment, because it doesn't really matter. They know they've been out in the market. They've looked at different homes. There's seven offers on the house they're writing on. They know the value is there, even if the appraiser says it's worth three or 5,000 less. Yeah. Yeah, that's very informative. Thank you so much for walking us through that. Oh, you're welcome. Like I said, I see so many people get confused by that. The appraisal contingency and the appraisal process um, is a mystery for buyers. So your agent really should be well-versed in that and help guide you through that and explain it to you. Because unless you're in the market every day, you know, as a loan officer or processor or realtor, you're really not going to know how this all works. Anything else that, that we should know about some different um, options to be more attractive to the seller? Well, paying cash is always <laughs> very attractive to the yeah. seller. And that's where you come in, Heather, right? Yep. <laughs> um, as we were talking before the show, I am a wealth of resources for contractors and for loan officers. I can get you the best loan officer um, who can help you depending on your situation, you know, as a VA, FHA, conventional, do you need a super quick closing? Um, do you have some unique circumstance? Maybe you own a business, that type of thing. But as far as should they go with a 15-year mortgage or 30-year mortgage, should they actually pay cash or should they finance they really need to talk to you. <laughs> well, they yeah, they should really talk to their financial advisor because yeah. there's different guidelines and benchmarks that we can talk through as like a rule of thumb. Like no more than a third of your gross income should really go towards your principal interest, taxes and, and insurance. But it comes down to cash flow and what can you and what do you want to actually afford? Then when it comes to finding the funds for the down payment, you know, depending on what kind of accounts you have, you may be able to access them before age 59 and a half if it's a retirement account based on your situation, if it's a first time home buyer, 
or if you've got a large accessible cash, does it make sense to pull that out of whatever vehicle it's in now to then put it into a house with such low interest rates? Financing is sometimes a better option. However, when you're trying to get that house and you want to just be able to have the cash offer, you know, we know that that's all part of it too. Correct. And I will say, I have always been um, told that you should not borrow against your retirement. So that's what I counsel people for a down payment. If you have good credit, really, you should not be buying a home until you have good credit, right? Because you do have a lot of bills when you buy right, a house. Right. It's rewarding, but it definitely has its financial implications. And so you can get a mortgage for 95% of um, the purchase price, as long as you have a really good credit score, you know, Um, so that is not a problem. And as you alluded to with interest rates so low at 3% or that, it it starts to um, really make sense to borrow a little more than maybe you would otherwise. But as far as the cash versus the financing, What some people don't realize is you can write a cash offer, meaning you write an offer without the protection of a financing contingency. In the standard Wisconsin offer to purchase, it does state that you have to provide proof of funds then. And in this competitive market, they really like to see proof of funds with the offer, not you know, within three, five, or I think the offer default is within seven days of acceptance. So what some people do is they do that and then they do show, you know, in their investment portfolio or have someone like you, because the offer does say that a financial advisor or bank representative who's in charge of the funds can write a letter as proof of funds that, yes, this person has this amount in their account. And of Mm -hmm. course, you can only say as of that day, right? You can't write them from withdrawing it or spending it. But you can verify that, yes, as of that date, they have the funds. People will do that. And then the offer does state the buyer is still entitled to get a mortgage if they want to. Okay, they just don't have the protection of the contingency. So if something would go wrong and all of a sudden they can't get a mortgage, they still have to close and use those funds that they showed, but they can, you know, go out, especially if, you know, you have a 740, 780 credit score, 800. I work with a lot of people, even Mm -hmm. 810 credit score, just phenomenal. Um, Because, you know, this area is very conservative and they are not going to have a problem getting a mortgage and they go and they get the mortgage and they go to closing and that's fine. And the offer does state that the seller does have to allow the appraiser to come in or the buyer to get the financing. And so that is a way to write a cash offer without actually paying cash and still taking advantage of the low interest rates. Yeah. Not paying cash in the end because you put all your funds into a house. And one way, one thing that I always say is you can't eat your house. So if you finance it, you've got some more flexibility to use your funds in different ways while off a loan that's at a lower interest rate. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what? Something that I learned years ago on Oprah, believe it or not, and I've always done it myself and I've always counseled other people, my clients and customers to do that too, is if you have a lot of equity in your house, you get a home equity line of credit. 
not a loan, but a line of credit. And you have that available because heaven forbid you're diagnosed with a major illness, you lose your job and you're um, house rich, but cash poor, right? And you have no funds. Now you have to sell your house when you're at your most vulnerable, but to tap your equity. If you have a home equity line of credit in place for a hundred thousand, you know, 200, whatever it is, you are able to draw upon that in an emergency like that and get yourself through treatment or through mm-hmm. the unemployment period and keep your home, keep that stability. And then you have time to make a plan to address yes. that crisis. Yeah. With you, their trusted financial <laughs> yeah. advisor. Correct. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll kind of turn the table to talk from the seller's perspective. Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm Heather Deaton, Wealth Advisor, and my guest today is Beth Jaworski, Top Producing Realtor with Shorewest Realtors. Beth, why don't you walk us through what sellers should be thinking about? We've already talked a bit about from the buyer's perspective, but now let's turn the table. Yes, it's amazing. Even though it's been a wild seller's market, it is calming down a bit. And Mm. even in the height of the seller's market, you are going to maximize your profit and have the smoothest sale if you do some prep work ahead of time. Um, I always say it's like selling a car, right? What do you do? You clean the car, polish it up, vacuum it, you know, really make it shine. Well, you're going to do the same thing with your house. And with HGTV, uh, people really expect you to have that house standing tall. And how you live in a house is not how you sell a house by any means, you know. So people spend a lot of time and money to prep the house nowadays. They will invest in a storage unit or a pod or just go through everything. And there are different companies and people I can connect you with or your agent can connect you with if that situation arises. But it's going to be in your best interest as a seller to clear out the house. You know, um, and I've been working with a lot of people the last year who've been in their home 20, 30, 40 years. So, of course, they have a lot of things, right? A lot of memories and a lot of possessions in that home. So it's worth the time to clean it out, have it all emptied out. Um, You want your counters pretty empty. You know, you want the rooms to really show off the size and the space and not... um, be cluttered or impede the flow of people walking through. I myself include a staging consultation mm. with every listing where my stagers will say, oh, let's move this furniture here, there, you know, remove that chair, take this bed out, whatever it may be. Things as simple as thinning out your closets, thinning out your cabinets, you know, your china cabinets, your bookcases, you want things to look like a model home. So again, it's not how you live. You know, some people say, oh my gosh, it looks fabulous. Other people are like, oh, it's so sterile when it's done. But you want to make your house appealing to all the people who come through. You want the buyer to picture themselves living there, not to be looking at all your family photos and saying, oh, do I know these people? You know, (laughs) 
you want them to be looking at the house you want them to be marveling at the woodwork or the view the number of windows the natural light and not be distracted by your possessions like you said you want them to envision themselves living there you don't want them to be thinking about you still living there <laughs> you summarized it perfectly Heather. yeah thank you yes and then the second thing is photos and this always amazes good agents that more sellers are not on top of this um, and frustrates us because I hire a professional photographer. And quite honestly, um, your agent should too. <laughs> you know, yeah. most agents do, but not all do. So definitely when you're interviewing agents or considering hiring an agent to sell your house, check out their listings online and make sure there are not terrible cell phone photos out there that they do employ a professional photographer who puts good high quality photos because that is mm -hmm. crucial that is how today's buyer finds out about the property they are emailed or texted the listing on their iphone their samsung their tablet what have you and the first thing they do is they look at the photos and that's how they decide if they want to see the house or not so that's crucial and then the third most important component, of course, is the positioning of you price-wise. Mm -hmm. um, we have seen a ton of price reductions the last two weeks. And you know, part of it is the market was so crazy that sellers got a little overconfident, I think, and people were a little overly exuberant at pricing. And the market will pass you right by, you know, sure. as hot as it is, as much as you hear, there's not enough inventory and it's true. Buyers still won't make an offer if they think the house is overpriced. And what's a very odd phenomenon for most sellers to wrap their minds around is right now buyers expect to pay over asking. So if you're asking what you really think it'll sell for, it's considered overpriced because they're not going to pay 105 or 110% of that. Got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And so then you've got to adjust. And so if you do come on the market and you find, oop, we missed it a little bit, right? You're drawing people or you're not even drawing people, but you are not getting an offer. The best thing you can do is quickly adjust because time is not your friend when you're on the market ever. And especially right now, because it's moving so fast, people are suspicious. If you're yeah. on the market, it sounds crazy, but say 14, 18 days, they're like, what is wrong with this house, right? I, Everything else I see is selling in a day or two. I drive past homes in our neighborhood and, and I have thought that same thing. And I have also ended my thought with thinking they're probably overpriced. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. That is exactly what everyone thinks. Mm -hmm. And that is not what you want. So you want to, to really drill down with your agent on pricing and get that price that is so attractive that the buyer, instead of thinking, oh, this is kind of high, instead says to their agent, wow, what is this listed for again? Oh my gosh, what do I need to do to get this house? Mm -hmm. If you have the buyer thinking that, oh my gosh, you're going to get a beautiful offer from them over asking, minimal contingencies, smooth sailing right to closing. So it's a little hard to wrap your mind around, but you will actually normally get more money as a seller by asking a little bit less up front. Yeah, that might be difficult, I would think, in this market for sellers to fully embrace. <laughs> 
Yes. And that's why a good agent will go through the comparables with them and show them, look at this house sold for X amount over the asking, that one for this amount over. And the overall summary in your area is, say, 107%, 110%. Then all of a sudden people realize, oh, yeah, pretty much everything I see here sold for over asking. Then it isn't as scary. Yeah, that's, that's great insight. What other things for sellers to know, or even someone considering selling because of all the kind of all the all the hype about the market for housing being at these all time peaks and how can you maximize what you get out of the home that like you had said you have built your memories your life your family in and if you're on the verge of thinking it's time to to move on from this and maybe they're being hurried up a little bit because of this hot seller's market. Yes. Well, again, a great agent can help you walk through the steps. You know, um, if you've been in the home a long time and you haven't had the interior painted recently, mm. that does wonders. I always say paint is your best friend when you're selling a house because fresh paint just makes everything look super fresh. And then if you're painting, a lot of times people will even change out then um, the light switches and the outlet covers if you have carbon monoxide or smoke detectors that are yellowed, they probably need to be replaced, you know, put fresh ones in. Um, bathroom, plumbing fixtures, your faucet, your tub, lighting, dining room, kitchen, bedroom, what have you. Um, you get your most bang for your buck doing those type of improvements and that will really update the house. If you have carpeting that's maybe 10, 15 years old and you have hardwood floors underneath it, it's in your best interest to pull those up. And of course, your front landscaping is huge because that is the first impression when the buyer comes up. So you want to pay attention to that. You know, maybe edge the lawn, have some pretty flowers when you walk up front, maybe paint the front door. Um, and then showing the space in the basement, you definitely want to um, thin out things, let people see the basement walls if it's an unfinished basement so they feel comfortable that the structure is fine and that their inspector can access that. And lastly, you know, if you've been in the home a long time and you're thinking, oh, I should sell, or even if it's just been a, a few years and you're thinking you want to sell because the market is so high, you definitely have to know where you're going. Because yes, you might get a lot for your house, but are you buying a bigger house? Well, now you're going to be paying a lot more because the market yeah. is up. If you're downsizing, that may be good. If you're going into a rental, you might think, oh, apartments are easy to find, but I'm hearing they are not. So you want to have a plan before you would list the house and really kind of know where you're going. And have that firmed up because the days of thinking, oh, I can sell the house and buy another one, no problem, all in 60 days, um, are not there right now. They're gone, <laughs> maybe temporarily, but currently you cannot plan that you will be able to find a new house within 30 days. And if, it's, if you really expect your house to get an accepted offer within two weeks... <laughs> you know, Correct. and then closing a handful of weeks later, that's not a lot of time. No, no, we, uh, the typical closing is 30 to 45 days out. Um, and we are even seeing some lenders for in this hot market that they will close in 24, 28 days to give the buyer advantage. Now, yeah. typically we always gave possession at closing in Wisconsin. 
that has changed a lot because of um, the backed up market and the inventory shortage. So sometimes you are able as a seller to negotiate some post-closing occupancy, you know, even mm -hmm. 30, 60 days maximum, but that still is not necessarily enough time. Even if you have 60 days, if you need to close on your house to make a non-contingent offer on another one, you really have to have an accepted offer within 30 days to close in the next 30 days. If you're paying cash, well, then you maybe have bought yourself another two weeks, but that's it. Mm -hmm. So again, you have to have backup plans. And as we talked about earlier, what's that F word? You have to be flexible. flexible. Yeah, that's, that's all great insight. You know, when you were talking about all the things to do to prepare your house, it's a pretty decent sized list of things to do. But, but doable, you know, very doable things like painting and switching out fixtures, you know, those are doable things and likely a strong investment that you'll be paid back on by getting a decent and a decent offer and also a speedy sale. Correct. Yes. Those things always pay you back and give you a great return. <laughs> and probably makes the seller still want to stay there because now everything's fresh and looking so great. Oh, yes. I've heard that before. Oh, my gosh. The house never looked better. I think I'm going to stay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, Beth, thank you so much. This has just been a wonderful conversation. I've loved all the insights. If any of our listeners want to connect with you and, and learn more and have questions about some of the things you shared, how can they reach out to you? Oh, well, I love to talk real estate, if you couldn't tell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I, they can visit my website, BethJaworski.com. They can call or text me at 414-520-8555. Or they can email me um, at sold at BethJaworski.com. That's great, Beth. Thank you so much. And as we close out, remember that Money Sense airs on Saturdays from 2 to 3 p.m. and on Sundays from 12 to 1 p.m. If you like today's show and you want to know more, please visit www.ellenbecker.com or call us at 262-691-3200. And as always, I hope that we've made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. Before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, remember we always listen.